Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Mary Berry with Century 21 All Pro Realty in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Last year, she closed 1,067 transactions with a total sales volume of $81 million. Her average sales price was $76,000, of which 100% were sellers. She operates a team with nine members, one office manager, one HUD coordinator, one BPO coordinator, one contract negotiator, one REO bookkeeper, one repair analyst, one REO closer, one call coordinator, and one team leader. Mary Berry is the broker owner of Century 21 All Pro Realty. She has been an agent for 30 years. Mary has two parts to her business. One, she's a producing agent. Two, she's a brokerage owner. This interview will focus on Mary as a producing agent. The 1,067 closings are Mary's personal production, not her company. In her best year, 2009, Mary sold 1,362 homes worth $102 million. Over the years, Mary has been ranked in the top five agents in the USA as listed in the Wall Street Journal by Real Trends. For the majority of her 30-year career, Mary has specialized in selling REO properties. She works as an exclusive seller's agent and does not represent buyers. She represents distressed property sellers, such as banks, asset managers, and Fannie Mae. Mary is a founding member of U.S. REO Partners, a trade organization dedicated to distressed property professionals. She also teaches REO classes at her local MLS. In this interview, Mary will talk about her career in REO, how the business has changed in the last 30 years, what trends are happening today, and how you can get into or expand your REO business. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Mary. Well, thank you very much. Mary, before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what did you do before you got into real estate? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I worked at General Motors. What did you do for General Motors? I worked in final repair for seven years. What does that mean? Was that working on an assembly line? I wasn't on the assembly line. Uh, I was in the back to where we did all the checking of the cars before they hit the line to be shipped out. So any little thing that was wrong, we had to fix back there. Why did you decide to get into real estate? I am not even sure at this point. I've I've thought about that throughout the years. And um, I had a friend of mine that was doing real estate, and I think she's the one that talked me into it. How long have you been in the real estate business? Since 1982. 
Wow, so about 30 years now. Mm-hmm. When you got started, did you have a slow start or a fast start? I think it was mediocre. I was in it probably a year before I ever wrote my first contract because I did it part-time. But I had a gal that I worked with, and she wrote up all the offers. And, of course, it worked out well at that time because that's when uh, the people were relocating from California into Oklahoma from the General Motors plants that they had shut down throughout the United States, and a bunch of them came here. So I had uh, names and everything else. I sent out packets to them before they ever got here. So I had a heck of a book of business, and it didn't stop for probably six, eight months. I mean, it was just wall-to-wall. I was working till midnight every night. What was that, mate? One or two years into your uh, your license? Oh, no. Brand new into license. Oh, brand new with the license. Okay. Well, you said it took you a year to write your first offer, so I guess I got a little confused there. I worked with a, a partner because I still worked at General Motors. I didn't quit. You know, I was hooked into this thing, you know, like a lot of people, got to have that paycheck, got to have that guarantee. And then I quit General Motors in 1985 and went to doing real estate full time. And um, consequently, nobody told me at that time the bottom was fixing to fall. I lost everything I had, you know, uh, undoubtedly, because um, uh, the first full year I did it full time, I made $13,000 gross. My husband was about ready to commit me, and I was about ready to let him. So you had to ride out that market. Well, that's when I, I learned in 1985, when RTC and FDIC and all that mess went, I learned how to do uh, REOs, and I learned it well. That's great. So you were exposed to the REO within your first couple of years in the business. Oh, yeah. And you either learned to do them or you got out of the business. <laughs> you didn't have an option. You know, when interest rates were, you know, at 19%. And of course, you know, when I teach today, I tell everybody, you know, I don't understand why you're not just loaded up with contracts because where the interest rates are at now compared to then. And I said, uh, you know, we sold negative AM loans back then. Nobody could explain it, especially the lenders and the closers. The only thing is we could guarantee you, you wouldn't live long enough to pay it off. A lot has changed, hasn't it? Oh, my. And not really, you know, we don't learn anything. You know, and we won't learn from this one either. When this is over with, everything will start going really, really well, and everybody will be selling like hotcakes, and, you know, everybody needs to have a home. And here we go again, and we'll just call it a different name. But I will be too old to deal with the next one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lord. So it's a cyclical market. You've watched it cycle up and down. Oh, absolutely. How many homes did you sell last year? Last year, it was 1,067, I believe. That's amazing. And in your best year, how many homes did you sell? 13, 13, 63, 23, someplace through there. Uh, But it was over 1,300. That was my best year ever. Let's back up for everybody and tell them where you're at. Where is Oklahoma City, Oklahoma? It is right in the middle of the United States. Centrally located, it's a halfway point to the East Coast and a halfway point to the West Coast, at which I'm originally from. You're originally from the West Coast? Yes, California was my home. And I moved to Oklahoma in 1976. So you could relate to these people that were relocating in from California to Oklahoma? Oh, absolutely. Now, Oklahoma City, where is that in, in the state? Is that in the middle of the state? Yeah, pretty much so. Pretty much in the center of the state. 
Describe your current market. Well, right now, our average sales price is probably about 113 Average days on the market, you know, for traditional real estate is running 90 plus. And in the REO world, if they're priced correctly, we're doing multiple offers one after the other. Just in a matter of days or weeks? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Are your prices in your area, are they trending up? Are they trending down? Are they flat? Well, if you believe the newspaper, they're going up. But I don't believe the newspaper because I live it. And I think we're pretty flat. You know, I don't think, you know, we're not dropping a lot like we were for a while there. But uh, I think we've leveled out. But I think we've got a long way to go before we start seeing things improve to the point to where everything starts appreciating again. In your market, what is the percentage of retail sales versus REO and short sales? What's that balance or mix? Oh, my goodness. I would say you're probably looking at uh, REO and short sales. Uh, about 60, 65 to 35 to 40 in traditional. So it's still heavily weighted in the REO side or the, the distress sell side? Oh, yes, absolutely. Do you have a niche or a specialization? Well, I guess it would be REO. I mean, that's, you know, I, I'm totally brain dead. I've been doing it so long that um, that's all I know. Yeah, now that's 100% or, well, it's the majority of your business, isn't it? The REO, you do a little bit of short sale, but most of it's REO? Yeah, I, I do short sales. And, um, you know, in the 90s, I worked with HUD directly. We set up the short sale for the FHAs, and everything worked out of Oklahoma City here throughout the United States. So my phone went off a lot then, too, because I had to answer, you know, how to do the short sales, how to back into uh, your final numbers. It worked wonderful. And, you know, everything went great until the bomb went off. And then, of course, we lost so many good people, plus, you know, uh, all the files and everything else. And it never it never got centrally located again. And were we able to put it back together to work like a, a fine oil machine the way it was prior to that? Are you saying that the, the operation that was in the building that was blown up in Oklahoma City? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, HUD, VA, yeah, FHA was on the uh, seventh floor and VA was on the eighth floor. Were you part of that group? Were you just uh, consulting with them or were you actually operating out of that office? I was in there constantly. As a matter of fact, I was supposed to have been there that morning and I got tied up with an appraiser and, and didn't get there in time. Yeah. But um, yeah, we lost a lot of good people, a lot of good people. I'm sorry to hear that. Let's go back into the REO side. It, it was a while back, but how did you actually get into REO? You saw that the market was sliding back in 85. How did you actually reposition yourself in the REO rather than retail? Well, when the SNLs collapsed, I was working directly with a, a lot of them, you know, and then Transamerica. Oh my gosh, that's going back. But, uh, through the local entities here and through the banks here. And then it just, you know, when everything started going, because when Penn Square, which is our big bank here, when it went down, it was just like the domino effect. It just took everything else down with it. And then it became national, and the FDIC got into it. And then, of course, there was so much of it at the time in the Midwest that, you know, the RTC was developed. 
Uh, and today, you know, of course, we've got the OCC developed. The acronyms are phenomenal, but they all mean the same thing. You said the OCC. What's the OCC stand for? It's a branch that is out of uh, Washington that they are now going through all the files to make sure all the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed. And I'm not sure what all the government entity stands for. But um, it's a, and I don't believe it's a part of the, uh, you know, of the Federal Bureau. It's an entity that they've developed, I guess, you know, to oversee all this loan mess and try to figure out, you know, who, who was in, who was wronged, and who wasn't. You don't work directly with the OCC. They're more of a review organization. No, I don't. I do not. Thank you, God. No. You generated an amazing number of closings last year. How many banks and asset managers are you working with to generate that kind of business? Well, I'm a direct Fannie, and I've been with Fannie, like I said, since the 80s. And back when I got in with Fannie, you couldn't work for Fannie and Freddie. It was either or. And I chose Fannie, and to this day, I've never done a Freddie. But um, I do the entire state for Fannie Mae. I do all the rural areas. That's a better choice of words, plus the Oklahoma City area. And it's amazing to me that, you know, we've got the amount of properties, and everybody says, well, Oklahoma's not even on the map because we don't have a lot of foreclosures, they say, but we really, really do. Because if you look at our population, you know, we're very densely populated out there. We have three actual, quote, what you would want to call cities, and that's Oklahoma City, Tulsa, and Lawton. Everything else is rural. Now, you have Enid. Enid has about 30,000. Shawnee's got about 30,000. Everything else is, has a four corners and a block each way. So there's a lot of rural property in, in this state. How are you covering such a large land area in your business? Are you actually traveling around, or do you have other people? Or how are you doing that? I go, I would say, probably within 100, 150 miles. My office can work it. Anything outside of that, I have realtors out there throughout the whole state that goes and gets my photos and checks my occupancies and does my inspections, etc. Because when the HUD contract came out, see, I had the whole entire state of Oklahoma the first five years. So I built the, and set up a system of people that work with me. You have an agent network that you established. Absolutely. How many people, how many agents are in that network? I probably have 35, 40. What is your arrangement with them? Do you pay them a flat fee or do you split the commissions with them? How does that work? If it's a HUD, it's a flat fee, okay? But if it's any of my other REO, then I give them 40% of the listing and I furnish everything. Because by doing that, then I know everything is, is exactly the way it's supposed to be. You know, my lot boxes are coded the same, my key codes are the same, and I have control of it all. And it's all operated out of my office here. So it's all centralized in your office. Exactly. The back office part is all in your office, and they're out in the field. That's correct. And they don't do the BPO. All the BPO work, everything else comes right through my office here. We do it all. And that's a lot. <laughs> you know. So they're meeting people at properties, they're inspecting properties, they're, they're kind of doing the property management portion of the REO, is that correct? That's correct. Sounds like it'd be a high demand position. People would want to be working with you, is that correct? 
until they get there sometimes. You know, and not everybody's cut out for this. You know, I, and I tell everybody when I teach because I, I teach the class and for continuing education here in Oklahoma at the boards. And I tell them that, you know, a prerequisite to work with me is you've got to be a little brain damaged. You know, because nobody in their right mind would ask for this, you know, this abuse. What kind of personalities do the best in this industry? Well, I'm a type A, as you can tell. <laughs> and so I think that um, they're, that's probably the best personality you could get for this business. What kind of people do you see that struggle? What are the characteristics of those people that actually don't make it work in REO? Well, I think it's because a lot of them get in with blinders on, thinking that, oh my gosh, you know, that's working and look at that, she's making all this, she's closing all these properties, I want to do it too. And they don't realize the amount of work and the cost to set up an REO shop. I mean, that's the reason why I'm in all these rural areas for Fannie Mae, because the people, you know, they're not going to go out and be at the expense for the programs, et cetera, that you have to, to either purchase or develop. And, you know, the bank account and everything else, you know, for six, seven properties a year, they're not going to do that. So they work with me instead because I furnish everything. And, you know, I send them buyers because I don't sell, period. I don't sell here in Oklahoma City. I don't sell anywhere because I don't think it would be fair for the other realtors out there throughout the areas because I know what's coming in. And I don't have all the foreclosures. I just have the largest. How many banks and asset managers are you working with? Are you only working with Fannie Mae? Oh, no, no, no. Lord, no. I've got Fannie Mae. I've got Bank of America. I've got numerous servicing entities. I've got about 15 of them that I'm operating with right now. What percentage of your overall REO business is the Fannie Mae account? Mm, Probably about 52%. Did you mention you work with HUD as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm... I'm licensed to teach that. What percentage is HUD of your overall business? Prior to this last contract, it was a large percentage. You know, I would say that it was probably out of the REO business, looking at all of it, it would be the first 10 years, I would say about 52% of the REO business. The other 48% was just my typical REO, Fannie Mae and et cetera. This contract... They have busted it up and, and gave it to numerous people, and most of them still think REO is a cookie because I'm still getting calls from all over the state because, you know, it, they think it's easy and easy money, but there's a tremendous amount of work and knowledge that you have to have in order to do it and do it efficiently and correctly, you know, because you've got to have the trust from all the realtors throughout the state, you know, and you've got to have the respect for that, you know, and I, I'm saying that uh, when I go, I'll, when I decide to kick the bucket, I'll probably have the biggest funeral I'll ever hit Oklahoma. Not so much because they care, but they just want to make sure I'm actually gone. So now that they busted up that contract, what do you think HUD is as a percentage of your overall business? Maybe five at the most. Oh, so it really fell. Yeah, it was a significant drop. Yeah, because I used to do uh, probably on the average 100 a month just with HUD. And now I, I probably do maybe 20 a month, if that. The remainder of the business is made up of private banks and servicers. Uh-huh. You said the Fannie Mae account goes way, way back. If somebody were going to try to attract 
and get in with Fannie Mae, how would they do it? Well, I think probably everybody needs to learn how to do BPOs before they do anything else. You know, if they go out and they go to the websites and everything else and sign up to do BPOs, be extremely good at it. And, you know, everybody thinks it's a CMA. Well, there's a lot of difference between a BPO and a CMA because you've got to get extremely good at being able to analyze repairs and what it's going to cost to repair. How do you do that? How do you get good at it? Classes. I've been doing this for years, and I just went and got my, my CDPE, you know, which is a certified distressed property expert. And I've been doing it 30 years, and I just now got the designation. I don't know why, but I, I thought, you know, that's a good one to have. And now then I'm doing the certified property management, which I had a property management company for, oh, about 10 years. And then uh, I told my son, I said, I'm going to give you your inheritance while I'm alive. Take it and move. <laughs> so he's got the property management company, and he works out of a completely different office. You built up a property management business at the same time you were building up your REO business. How big did your property management business get? How many properties were you managing? At the peak, I had about 161. Those probably go hand in hand, don't they? REO has a facet that's property management based. and So those must have really gone well together. Yeah. And I think you're going to see more of it. You know, if federal government doesn't get out of this to where this can play its way out, I think you're going to see a point in time to where they're going to work with the mortgagors and or tenants, whatever, you know, to stay in these properties for, you know, two, three years and just collect rents off of them, opposed to just dumping them all on the market and getting rid of them. I could be wrong, but I, I swear I think it's going. You see the banks and backed by the government foreclosing, taking over the properties, but rather than turning them around and selling them, just either put a tenant in or leave a tenant in and collect rents. Correct. Have you seen that start to happen yet, or is that just what you're predicting? Well, yeah, Fannie Mae's doing it. Fannie Mae's already started. Yeah. Now, in Oklahoma, they don't have a lot, but I've had quite a few, and uh, they have a national company that does the property management. And then that national company hires subcontractors here, you know, realtors throughout, in, in order to do their legwork. Just like the sales side? Uh-huh. If somebody were going to try to get in with Fannie Mae today, well, you said BPOs. You said BPOs is the, is the key. And that's the key to getting in with any of them. You've got to be extremely good at that. And, you know, they're all doing report cards now. Everybody's got a report card. So the better you are at BPOs, the easier it's going to be for you to get into this business because one feeds off the other. So each property, each assignment that you get, you have to do a BPO on? Oh, yes. You get graded on how close your BPO is to the final sales price? Exactly. What's your grade? It depends on which company I'm with. But uh, with Fannie Mae, you're graded based on your peers, okay? That's who you're – well, consequently, I've got areas throughout the state where I am the only peer. And when you get in these areas that has – 300 people, you don't have a large buying entity there. And that's what I tell them. I say, whoever buys this lives here. There's nobody moving in because they're all related, including the dogs and cats. So price is the only thing you have to work with. You know, and if you don't price it right going in, you're going to have an aged inventory. 
And in my opinion, if you have it on the market longer than 30 days, it's aged. It's not priced right at all. Otherwise, it would be gone. Let's talk more about that BPO. You mentioned repairs. Do you use some type of book or some kind of database for figuring out how much a repair is going to cost, or do you just have it memorized? By now, I can just about guess at you know what the repair is going to be and what the cost of it is going to be. But they have a, oh my gosh, a, a book, Marshall and Swift, which the appraisers use. You know, I don't know that Marshall and Swift's been updated since the 80s because I've had some of the appraisers, I've asked them, I said, where in the name of God did you come up with this amount for a repair? I mean, you say $50 to fix this sheetrock, and I could walk through it. So if you've got somebody that'll fix that for $50 and make it look good, give them my name and number because I got a lot of work for them. Do you use vendors to help you estimate repairs? Well, if I have to get a complete restoration bid, yeah, then, yeah, you have to do it that way. See, and most of the companies now, if any may include it, they've gone to national companies because they think it's saving them money. Because before, I used to take care of all the repairs and everything else on the properties. I don't do that anymore because they have their own people. But uh, the problem with that is you have a national company, you have one pie, you can only split that pie so many ways. And the guy at the top is taking half of it right off the top. And then you've got the other half, then you've got to find somebody in that state or that area that's going to do the job. Or, you know, you're going to hire them, and then they're going to have to pay people to do the job. So you're just splitting this pie all up, and by the time you get down to the actual workers, they're getting very little money, and it shows. They're getting paid 50 bucks. If they're lucky, and, and the repairs and everything else certainly shows. Do you think that that has increased the cost, the overall cost, or it's just decreased the quality? They're paying more for it. In the long run, you know, all these banks are paying more for this, and the quality sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I don't know any way to put it. You know, there's very few out there that have enough, you know, pride in the, in the work that they do that, you know, they want it to be good irregardless of what they're getting paid. Let's go back into how you get in with banks, because, again, a lot of people will be listening to this and trying to figure out how they could start off. You say BPOs is the place to start. Once you get the BPOs going, how do you get into with one of the banks? You can try your local, your credit unions, et cetera, because I do work for them as well. But if you're going to, to get into, like Fannie Mae, Fannie Mae has opened up their, their realtor base Oh, my God, this last year for the first time in years. I used to tell them that, you know, all you can do is either pray that I screw up awfully bad or that I die. Because that's the only way you're going to be able to get in to my position, you know, with Fannie Mae. But it's not that way anymore. Now, they all have websites like Fannie Mae's is eFannieMae.com. And depending on the state that you're in, it's very possible that you could get direct with Fannie today. And see, that hasn't been happening for years, but they have opened up. Same thing with Freddie. Uh, they are all looking for people and good people now. Some of them are filled, and, it, and like I said, depending on the area, but you want to stay on top of that. You know, Go to those websites. I'm just fixing to go this next week to REO Expo. In September, they have what they call Five Star. There is 11 of us that started a new trade organization. Uh, I used to be with the NRBA. I was with them for uh, almost since the beginning, and I resigned three years ago. 
and because I kept saying, you know, there's got to be something better, and it's got to be about the people. So 11 of us got together, and we set up USREOP, which is a trade organization, and we put our members in with areas that are needed by the clients, and we connect the dots. Uh, Can we guarantee work? Of course not. Nobody in their right mind would take that, but we certainly can help. What does USREOP stand for? USREO Partners, and it's a pretty diversified organization with the people that, you know, the 11 of us that set this thing up. How many members do you have now? We've got 168, I believe is where we're at now, and we just started a year ago. This is a trade group focused on the distressed cell industry? Exactly. Yeah, short sales, REO, et cetera, and that's all we do. We have webinars, et cetera, that we have, you know, like we just had one yesterday with Bank of America was the one that put it on for us. We've had one with PMH, just different organizations out there that want to do these classes and do these webinars, and it also helps the people that are attending them get in with them in order to do their business. So how often are those webinars happening? We have a webinar at least once a month and sometimes more often. Do you have other training? Do you put on a conference, uh, anything like that? We don't put the conference on, but we sponsor, you know, like uh, RioMac. RioMac is the largest that there is out there, and it's just strictly REO. They have two a year, RioMac does, one in Palm Springs in the spring, and then in the fall they do one in Florida. Now, they have moved that occasionally, and they've done it in New York and et cetera, but they get in Palm Springs in the spring all the time because of the weather. Five Star is another one. They're in uh, Dallas, and they will have theirs in September. The one I'm going to this next week is in Fort Worth. And there are all kinds of classes that, you know, the people that can go and they can take, and, and it helps them get business. It also helps them get certified in different areas with different entities like Equator and ResNet, et cetera, which are just programs that you have to know and be very good at in order to get the business as well. Because most of your entities now, your banks and everything, they work off of these programs. Can just anyone go to these conferences? Do you have to be invited? No, you can go. You don't have to be invited. No. You pay your money and you can go. And that's the neat thing about it, you know. And it's people from all over the United States. You know, you get, a, you get to intermingle with experienced realtors that have done it for years and new people that are just trying to get the business. So it's a good mix all the way around. That's what you're getting when you go to these conferences is the classes and education, but also the networking with the other agents. Oh, yeah. Are you also meeting asset managers? Absolutely. You've made all these connections now with these private banks and asset managers. Did they happen in these conferences or how did they come about? A lot of them, yeah. You know, if you get into a good trade organization like USREOP or the NRBA, they do things like we're doing a party at REO Expo. And at that party, we have the whole restaurant, the whole rooftop of the restaurant. And uh, we have numerous asset managers that will be attending it. And then our members will be there to where they can get one-on-one. And we're looking at a ratio of about two to one 
as far as the asset managers there that, that's going to be there. There'll be Fannie Mae and different from all over. Uh, a lot of them are going to be out of Denver because Denver is a big hub for REO as well. What other methods can an agent use to educate themselves? You've mentioned conferences, these classes, designations. Online classes. You can get a bunch of them online. You know, and like I said, I've been doing it 30 years, and I still take classes. So you're constantly trying to update yourself. I understand the industry is constantly changing. Is that correct? More so than at any point in time ever in history is it doing that, you know, these last three years. And at the rate it's going now, if they don't do any changing, and that will be another 10 years trying to clear all this mess out. Are you talking about the fact that there may be shadow inventory or something else going on that we're not seeing? By all means. And Oklahoma, the Supreme Court just it came down with a, a requirement that says um, whoever the lien holder was on the origination note must be the same lien holder that files the foreclosure. If not, then you've got to stop everything, go back, and make sure all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed on any and all assignments and any and all entities that loan may have went to. So that just stopped everything. And then, of course, last year you had the robo-signing. I went, my office went for three months without a closing. I mean, not one property closed. So that slowed them down. And the hope, I guess, was that the market would turn around and correct itself. But you're anticipating that that's not happening or not happening quick enough and that this will continue on for a while. Oh, yes, by all means. Somebody said to me 10 years ago, Five Star was interviewing me. And I got it framed up on my wall in my office here. But um, they asked what I thought the future was going to bring. And I said, well, we're going to see a repeat of the 80s only a thousand percent worse. I said, because this time when it hits, it will go nationwide. Now, what I didn't even foresee when I said this was I didn't expect it to be global. And I had no way of knowing that Wall Street had as many hands in the pockets as what they had. But uh, it certainly happened, but it was much worse than even I anticipated. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. You have a nice long-term perspective, almost 30 years of being in this default industry has the business been continuous? In other words, we've talked about the cyclical, that it certainly gets big and shrinks, but does it ever go away? Have you been able to stay in the REO industry the entire time? Well, I got out of it for a short time. You know, I mean, I, I just, if they call me, I would help them out, okay? But I didn't go out and look for the business. And I worked with the builder for four years. And that was it. Before... And since, that's all I've done is the REO, you know, because when I set my company up, I opened it in 96, and um, I set it up under three entities. I have two corporations here. I have the, you know, traditional real estate. I have my realtors, and I have a sales manager that works and takes care of them, does the training, all that. Then I have an office manager that takes care of all of us. 
Then I have my REO department, and that's where I work. I have a desk in here just like the rest of my people. And then I have the HUD department. So, you know, I've said it, my entity is a little bit different than most, you know, because uh, I don't think you should have all your eggs in one basket. So I've diversified. When you say your HUD department, are you talking about HUD sales? Uh Uh-huh. HUD listings and sales. It's an entity of its own. The REO department would do the Fannie Mae and the private banks. Exactly. And then you'd have your traditional office with your traditional agents doing their own business with individuals. Correct. Why did you open up your own company? Oh, my gosh. Brain damaged. I was working for an outfit that I'd been with for about nine years. And uh, I don't know. I just woke up one day and decided, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I think I'm just getting out. I'm going to go find what they call an RJ, a real job. And I called uh, Jack Mowdy up, who was uh, my sales rep with uh, Century 21. And I told him, I said, well, you know, I've had enough. I'm getting out. And he goes, no. He said, you sit tight, and I'll call you back in 30 minutes. And he did. He said, I want you to meet with these people tomorrow. They're looking at selling their company, and I want you to take it. And so I went up and talked to him, and that was on a Monday. I went back on Wednesday, paid him, I don't know, $20,000, and I took over. And on Thursday, I opened up. <laughs> you act fast, don't you? And I'm not sure that I said at the time, you know, if I make it six months, I'll be lucky. But I, I found out one thing. I'm extremely good at what I do. I am not extremely good at running a company. That's not my expertise. I can tell you that up front. But I am smart enough to hire the people that do know it. (laughs) How did you find the people that were good enough to run the company? Trial and error. (laughs) And and mostly trial, let me tell you. (laughs) I have probably made every mistake that could be made out there in this business. And I just hope that I can help others, you know, not make the same mistakes that I did. I mean, of course, I graduated from the School of Hard Knocks. But you don't forget those lessons. If somebody were listening to this and they were thinking about opening up an office, a franchise or an office, what's the number one biggest mistake they should avoid? Oh, my goodness. I think, oh, my God, the personnel. You know, you've got to know, you've got to have your I's dotted and T's crossed going in. You know, I mean, this is not something you do and not, Nobody should do it the way I did. <laughs> because um, you've got to have people that you know can do the job. And, and you know what you can do. And you can build it. And I help build the company because of all my REO and everything else. But I'm also smart enough to know I can't run it. I cannot do it. That takes a whole different mindset. And I don't have it. I don't do the bookkeeping. I don't do any of that stuff. I sign the checks. And I open the mail. <laughs> that's, my, that's my job. That's all they let me do. <laughs> so you knew your strengths and your weaknesses. And you have to know that before you go in on any company. I don't care whether it's real estate or whatever it is. You've got to know what you are capable of doing. And then you have to find the people that you know you are not capable of doing. And hopefully you're lucky enough you know, to do it right the first time. I wasn't. But you were able to make a transition. You were able to look at those problems and solve them. Well, yeah. 
when they happen like that, you're kind of forced with an issue. I was in an airplane coming back from Tennessee when I had to do it this last time. Now, the people I've got with me now, they have been with me for over seven years, eight years, I guess. And it's a husband and wife team. And they were in Enid, and I worked with him. He did all my REO stuff for me in that area. And so he and I would worked together, you know, and knew each other well, but I had never met her. And he didn't think that she would move from Enid down here. Well, he was wrong. And she's a very strong woman, and so am I. So he didn't think we would be able to work together at all, and we just clicked right off the bat. You are an expert in REO more than most. Would you do us a favor and, again, for someone new or even someone who's already been in it for a while, could you walk us through a typical REO transaction from the beginning to the end, what happens in the beginning? You, I assume, do a BPO and, and get all the way to a closing. What are the steps or the processes that go along that, that trail? You get the order, be it Fannie Mae or whoever, is sending it in to you through email. And you get an email, so when I get that, and all, everything comes through my computer. And then I forwarded that new property over to my BPO girl. She takes and builds the file. You know, she automatically puts the file together. She pulls the tax records. She pulls any and all court docs pertaining to this file. So we can see when it went to sheriff's sale, when it's going to confirm, et cetera, because we are a confirmation state. And we're also an abstracting state. So we have these extraordinary things that uh, a lot of the states don't have. Then she, she gets that done. She calls the utility companies to check to see if utilities are on, which kind of gives us an idea whether it's occupied or vacant. And then either myself or one of my assistants, my, my road guy, uh, we go out and check occupancy and do the drive-by picks because everybody's going to want a, a BPO based on just drive-by, a street scene, address, and a front view. And then you're going to turn that in. Once it confirms... And or, you know, if it's occupied, we may do what we call a CFK, the cash for keys. There's a lot of different entities that could transpire. It could be a deed in lieu. But ordinarily, it's not. Ordinarily, deed and lieu is a few and far between. And it goes to the REO side. So once we do the drive-by BPO, then we just wait. You know, if it's vacant, we wait for them to come down because the appraiser's got to go out. And then we've got to go out and do our interior. And so we get it rekeyed and lockbox and everything else on it. Appraiser goes out and he does his work. We do ours. And then we wait for a price. Once the price comes in, then I have a gal that is my repair analyst. And she also puts everything in the MLSs. So she gets her job done. She gets the utilities turned on as well for any and all inspections. The minute it hits the market... You know, a lot of times we've got people built in that we send emails out to all over new property, you know, check it out. And even my, my realtors in the back, they do not know what's going to be hitting in this department until it hits. They don't get into those properties any faster than the guy on the next corner that doesn't work for me. Because you, it, you got, in my business, you've got to be extremely careful that you are running everything above board so you have all the realtors out there that trust you. They know when it comes out that they're seeing it at the same time everybody else is seeing it. And they have the same opportunity 
to write an offer on it or submit an offer. Then we deal with the fact of the contracts. We have multiple offers on a lot of them. I have a contract negotiator that uploads all the contracts, gets back with the realtors, tells them that you know they need to correct this, that, or the other. And then once it goes under contract, then it goes to the closing department. And I have a person that just does the closing. She works it from that point forward. Now, if there's any repairs, anything has to be done for inspections, that's her baby. She takes care of it. My repair analyst doesn't because that's already bypassed her. And then hopefully we get it under contract and get to the closing table. And that's the life and day in the REO world. Any and all problems hit my desk because I have to take care of and put the fires out on on anything that's major. My people are extremely good, and they make me look extremely good. But I could not do this without them. And that's another thing. If you want to get into this business, you have two options. You can do it piecemeal, a little bit at a time, or you can grow it. And that's what I chose to do. I chose to grow it. And when you grow it, it's going to cost you more money because you've got to hire people. And a lot of people are too greedy. Uh, They think they can do it all. And you can for a short time. But if you want to be really, really good, you can't do that because you can't operate on all cylinders and make sure everything is done based on time because everything's on a time clock on this. From the time that order hits until it closes, it's, it's timed. And you're graded on every step of it. How do you track all the details of each of these transactions to make sure they're all occurring? Well, I have, you know, everything is in my R drive. I, I download, you know, our photos. Everything is there. So we can go at any time and see where we're at, what's going on, uh, whether we're repairing or not repairing. And each, each person has their job. And if their job is done correctly, we can go into the R drive and know, you know, because we, we download any, any repair requirements, you know, uh, any, any and all approvals are there. So when it comes time for reimbursements, the bookkeeper, she knows that she can get reimbursed for this stuff before, before she sends the billing out. And we have utility bills all over the state in our name. So, you know, she takes care of paying all the bills and collecting all the money. You say an R drive. What does that mean? What is an R drive? Well, that's just what I call it. It's just a drive that I've named, which is my REO drive. That's all it is. And everything is in there from the time that property hits till it closes. It's sitting on a central server? That's correct. So file or document area is sitting on a central server that everybody has access to? Yeah, yeah. everybody in my REO department. Is it running a certain type of software, or is it just a raw file? How do you have it organized? A raw file. Raw file, and everything's based on a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet. That's all I've ever used. There's a lot of programs out there, like uh, Maestro and, and a bunch of them, that are probably really, really good. And they would be, and I would use that, except for the fact that I've tried some of them, and they did nothing but slow us down. because. It's all task-driven. So in essence, if A person doesn't do their job, B person can't do theirs. And I'm going, no, that's crazy. I can't have that. <laughs> because sometimes we get ahead of ourselves, and we have to, depending on the process. 
on a lot of these things. So I've got to have my gal on my utility end maybe doing something ahead of time before the BPO gets done. So a task-driven won't work with me. I'm probably the most disorganized, organized person there is. Well, you're attacking the problem from multiple directions, and so a lot of different people have to see the database at the same time. Exactly. Everything is kept on a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet, and it's all color-coded. What do you mean by that, the Excel spreadsheet? Is it like a checklist? In the R drive is you know, where the checklist is. That's where the actual guts of everything are. But my spreadsheet, and I used to carry it with me, and then I finally got me an iPad, so I don't have to carry it anymore. But it is color-coded, okay? It's got a list of every one of my properties, and it's all done by city. Because when I get calls, because my phone is never off, even when I'm at conferences and everything else, I can go to a city. If All i got to do is what city is it in, bam, I can go. And if it's green, it's going to be under contract. If it's white, it's going to be closed. And that, so everything is color-coded, and, I, and gray, it means, you know, we're active. It's done that way, so I can spot it in a hurry, and so can the rest of my team. So it's organized by the address? And the city. You know, Maestro and those other programs that work, it, the only problem is with that, you have got to scan everything into the system. And uh, most of our stuff is scanned, but I find that emails and stuff like that, my God Almighty, you know, you would be forever in a day. I've got too many properties, and where do you start? I mean, when do you say, okay, as of today, we're going to use Maestro? That means, but what about all these properties that I've got over here? How am I going to track them? And so I've just, we, we've just chosen it to do it this way. It may not work for everybody, but it works for us. The checklist, is it showing from the address and it's just going in a, a row from left to right, say, and then the columns are checking off the tasks that would need to be done, and so you can see that they were completed or not completed on each property? Yeah, that's correct. You get a big bird's eye view of everything that's going on with each property? Uh-huh. And when you check them off, do you just do a check mark or do you write the date in that it was completed? No, date. Everything is dated. If you were to go along the top with the tasks, how many tasks need to be done on each property? From beginning to end and depending on repairs and everything, you could have as few as 20 and as high as 70, 75. You add in tasks that are specific to that property? Exactly, yeah. Where do you keep all of the actual documents for the file itself? Are they on that same R drive? Yeah, they're on this R drive, correct. And, and it's backed up off-site and on. And, but everything works off of a server. Is that server in your office or are you working out of the cloud? I'm working out of cloud now as well, but the server itself is in my office. And then you can connect to that no matter where you are now. Exactly. So everybody just references your R drive each and every day to see what they need to do and where they're at. That's correct. How do you make sure people don't miss something? Oh, we, yeah, we're human. We always do. You know, I mean, you're not, you know, I would like to say that, that we're absolutely perfect, but we were perfect yesterday. Today, there's nothing wrong with us. We cross-check each other, you know. You've talked about your team. Do you cross-train your team? Oh, yes. 
How does that work? Is it happening by osmosis? Is it just happening naturally? Or do you have an official training session or day during the month that you do it? Yeah, that's what we have. The only thing that's not cross-trained is the bookkeeping. That's the only thing that nobody cross-trains on. Just her and, you know, her assistant. That's it. You can't have too many hands in, in a checkbook. But the rest of everything, I mean, I have one gal in here that, you know, there's not a job in here that she couldn't do on any of them. And my granddaughter, who has worked for me for years, she started out answering phones and then went to BPOs and all this kind of stuff. But she's now the head person because she had to take over that department because the gal I had there quit. She was moving back to Iowa after six and a half years. I've heard that the bookkeeper is a critical role in your business and hard to fill. There's a lot of details going on. And if you don't get your information in quick enough, you don't get reimbursed. So there's a problem with loss. How do you find a good bookkeeper? Well, that's another trial and error. (laughs) And like I said, you know, I've lost a fortune in that department throughout the years until you have a very, very good one. And then when you get a good one, it's very hard to replace them, you know, because there's so much in, in and out stuff on that area. I mean, her desk is right behind mine. And, I mean, our, our whole area is open. It's like a bullpen. My REO department is. Each person has their own desk, and they work off of that desk, but they know exactly. They come in knowing what they got to do, and they leave knowing what they got to do the next day. And they take very good care of me because I can't remember anything anymore. <laughs> and I can call and ask a question, and they got an answer for me immediately. The bookkeeper, do you have a check and balance in there to make sure everything's going smoothly? Do you have any kind of auditing system? Yeah, it's done monthly. Who's it done by? My upside bookkeeper. And I have a CPA that uh, comes in and checks the stuff and then checks the whole thing quarterly. Monthly and quarterly checks. Yeah, you got to have that. That's what I've heard. Uh, That can eat your lunch in a hurry. Are you having to do a lot of the repairs today, or is that all being sent out to an outside service company? We're doing more repairs today than I've ever seen. When you say that, are you having to manage it? Are you having to go out and get the bids and and make sure the work's getting done? Used Used to in the old days, and for some clients, like Bayview and that, I still do that. Some Premier and all that, I still do. But most of them, like I said, have gone to national companies. So you don't have to put the money up for repairs anymore? No, not anymore. You know, some of them I did. I mean, like I said, for years I did that. And that's why I said, you know, it takes a tremendous amount of money to set up an REO department. If somebody were going to try to set up an REO department or expand one, what budget should they use? How much money should they estimate that they need for either the overall department and or for each property? When I started doing this again in 99, that's when I took the HUD account, so I divided everything out. I set my whole thing up with $2,700 and had money left over every month. Today, it's in excess of 100000 and, you know, just in and out. Do you have a line of credit for that? I do, but um, most of it is already, it, it's all mine that's already there. It's just rolling around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just rolling around and making me crazy. By that, do you mean that you're lending out 
upwards of 100000 at a time to the banks for things like cash for keys? Exactly. So you're making loans to the bank. That's right, and they don't pay you interest. And if you don't get it submitted correctly or right, then uh, they take your money, <laughs> and they don't say thank you. <laughs> they don't say thank you at all. They just take it and go. I mean, they'll get any interest, and you could lose your principal. Exactly. Now, you talk about gambling. <laughs> that is a gamble. That is a gamble. Well, it must all be worthwhile. Well, I keep saying that. <laughs> I'm, you know, I don't know whether I'm trying to convince myself or not, but uh, I definitely keep saying that. And after 30 years, I'm you know, completely brain dead. I don't know how to do anything else. If you were going to try to estimate to tell someone or advise someone, how much would you tell them they need to have to put aside for each property? Well, because you got utilities in and out every month, I would say uh, I would figure at least $1,500. And now that's without doing any repairs. So that's for things like utilities? Yeah, and minor things, you know, uh, boarding up a window or uh, having to rekey because somebody has kicked in the door. A quick emergency repair. Right. Does that $1,500 estimate include uh, cash for keys or moving someone out? No. It doesn't. Are you doing that now, or is our servicers picking that up? Integrated is now doing uh, the cash for keys for Fannie. So they're sending me the money. Used to, I used to have to have the check. You know, I would write the check. But they're doing that now. Like uh, with Premier and that, a lot of times, if it's the contractors locally that they're using, then I have to pay them and file for, for, for reimbursement. And, you know, we have had as high as $25,000, $30,000 in repairs on one job. And that's when you get real nervous. Have you ever gotten stuck with that where you haven't been able to get reimbursement for a large item like that? The worst I have lost at one hit was 9600 And that's quite a bit of money to lose on one deal. Just bam. What caused that? How did that happen? Because my closer didn't pass it on to the bookkeeper. And then when they caught it, you know, it had already been closed for two months, so guess what? <laughs> You're not going to get reimbursed. Because if you final out an account, you only have two weeks in order to get everything downloaded, you know, on all your outstanding, outstanding, you know, invoices and that. If it closes or the property is taken off the market or whatever, you still only have 14 days. You've got a lot of people running around. You've got a lot of money floating out there. A lot of agents are going to ask the question, are you profitable? Well, what do we consider profitable today? <laughs> you know, I used to think, you know, having a bunch of money in the bank and all that was profitable. And it still is. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean that. But, um, yeah, it is. It is definitely. I mean, I am going to be 70 years old next year. You know, I'm older than trees, for God's sakes. I don't see myself retiring. You know, it's a job that, you know, I mean, I don't know how you retire from this job because everybody says, well, you have to cut back. Well, in order to cut back, you have to say no to people when they want you to do their properties. And believe me, I've got areas that my team says, please don't take another one of those. <laughs> if somebody were going to try to set up an REO business or they have one that's currently existing and they're trying to gauge whether they're doing well, could you disclose to us? what your profit margin is as a percentage of your gross revenues? I would say probably, I am probably looking at about point, 
about 0.19. So about 19% of the top number ends up at the bottom. Exactly. By the way, has that fluctuated over the years? Oh, my God, yes. I've seen it in the red a lot of times. <laughs> you've done this for a long time. What's the low and a high you've seen the profit margin move? I've had a few months there, you know, like, well, like on the robo-signing. My profit margin was in the negative for three months. I mean, I, I, I made no money, and I was still paying bills. And it, probably I, I'd gotten to the point that I was thinking, if, man, if it didn't come back pretty soon, I could only finance this so long, <laughs> and then you're in trouble. Yeah, I've seen it that way. I've seen it, you know, to where, my gosh, I, I've seen it all the way up to, I, I'd say, 25%, you know, on the good side. In the original days, you had a, someone helping you write contracts early on, so I'm curious, when you got into the REO side, did you bring in people to help you right away, or did you try to do everything yourself? I did it all myself for a lot of years. But I didn't, you know, but like I said, I didn't grow it. You did the piecemeal model. Exactly. How many transactions do you think someone could do by themselves? And do it well? Oh, I would say probably if you close and work it from, from the beginning to the end, and you did by yourself 100 a year, you are extremely busy. But you think someone could knock out 100 a year by themselves? Yeah, I think you could. If you're a Taipei personality and you don't ever sleep. You mentioned that you're teaching classes. Are you teaching those classes locally or are you teaching something online that a national agent could come in and watch? No, they're all locally. I just teach at the boards. And uh, the class is free. I don't get paid for teaching, but I've got it set up with the commission and they get uh, required continuing ed for my three hours. I'm a member of the three major boards, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, and Lawton. Do you teach at the conferences? I have. I've held classes on the HUD. I don't do that so much anymore because I, uh, I go to network. And, of course, thank you, Lord, I've reached the point to where I, I don't have to go to these conferences to build my business because I've already got it. I go to network with other realtors throughout the United States that are doing the same thing and and the pros and cons, and then our members of our trade organization, you know, and try to help them build their business if that's what they're wanting, or try to help them with an exit plan if they're wanting to get out and sell possibly. And, you know, what we try to do is work in a lot of different ways. We'll go into their offices if need be and help them there to uh, possibly set it up, you know, differently to where it's more efficient. It's just there's a lot of different things that, that we offer the members of the USREOP group. Now, how does someone get into that group? Do you just apply? Do you take everybody? What happens? Yeah, exactly. Just go to www.usreop.com, and there's an application, and there's also a sheet that tells you about us and a little bit about each one of us. And what we're looking to do, our mission statement and everything else is all right there. Does someone have to already be an existing REO agent before they can join? Yes. What does that mean? If they've sold one REO property, do they qualify or do they have to have some other type of criteria? What we look at is how many listings have you got right now that are REO? 
how many have you closed in the last year, and then how many have you closed in the last 36 months? And what is your inventory? Is it 50, 40, whatever? But it's consistent. And who are you representing? Who do you work for? That's a big factor. What is the minimum requirement? It depends on the location where they're at, because some of the areas, you know, we've had people that have applied and we haven't you know, let them join because their inventory is really too low for that area. But then if I have a rural area out there, I may not require as much from those people. Well, I wouldn't, because they're not going to have the amount of properties that somebody in a metro area is going to have. So are you looking for the top performers in the REO industry? Either the top or want to be the top. So it's like an exclusive club. Pretty much. Pretty much. You have to have uh, graduated from the school hard knocks to get in. That's the only degree that's required. Are you noticing in your market that the banks are shifting from selling REO to trying to get short sales completed? We've got it here. I just don't think we've got enough of it because I don't think, I think a lot of that is air that's being professed out there that, you know, we're doing all these short sales and everything. I'd like a penny for everyone. I went and put a door hanger on this last year. And the people said, well, why are you here? We're working with the bank to try to do a workout program, a short sale, whatever. So consequently, you know, it's already gone to sheriff sale because I don't go there until it goes to sheriff sale. So you haven't seen that trend. Some of the parts of the country that seems to be trending, and you have not seen that in Oklahoma, where the banks are pushing towards short sale rather than REO. Not enough of it, by no means. If you were to advise someone that wanted to get into REO, what are some of the big mistakes you see people making when they're trying to get into REO? Their resume. That resume and knowing how to do a resume is extremely important. I think probably on the resume, you not only want to say where you've been, but where you'd like to go. Because those banks are looking for something bigger and better that will set you apart. But other than that, I think just be honest and sell yourself. There's nothing wrong with saying how good you are. Because if you don't touch your own horn, who's going to? Mary, why have you been so successful? Probably perseverance is it, you know, and the fact that I want to be able to do bigger and better and more than anyone else. And my team is pretty much the same way. We celebrate together and we cry together. Where does that drive come from? I don't know. I have no clue. I wished I did because I'd like to bottle it up and sell it. I think I still work today in the same manner as I did 25 years ago. Now, my body is a whole lot older, and I thank God when he created us, he messed up. Because, you know, when you're young, you have no brains, you've got all this energy. And by the time you get brains, you know, your body's played out. So I'm not sure. How many hours do you work in a typical week? Probably 70, average. Do you get to take a day off? What's that? I'm going to take a vacation this year, though. And that's a first. I'm going to be gone a whole week. When's the last time you were able to do that? Oh, Lord, I don't even remember. You know, I go to these conferences, and I attend most of the big ones. But I'm working. You know, it's not a, a place where you go, because even if you're in the bar after all the, the meetings and everything else has gone on, you're networking. 
you know, you've got asset managers that are there, and you've got brokers, and everybody's intermingled. So, you know, you're either introducing somebody or sitting and talking to somebody that maybe can do you and or someone else some good. Mary, if you were to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? You mean getting into the REO business? Sure. I think probably check out the companies. Go online because most of them you can find online. Check out the company that you think in your area, you know, has more properties to offer than anyone else, be it Fannie, be it Freddie, be it whoever, and work that company and work it and work it. I don't care if you fill out that application 90 times. If you are persistent, you are going to get noticed because if nothing else, they're going to finally move your application into reading and looking at it simply because of the fact they want to shut you up. This is not a job for the meek, by no means, because I've had my, my tea hiney chewed out by pros, and some of these asset managers think they're pros, let me tell you. It's not for the, for the meek or the weak of heart, because it takes a lot. It takes a lot to do this business and, and to build it. Mary, do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing right now are valuable? Oh, absolutely. You've got people out there that are hopefully, you know, maybe trying to get in. And if you reach one person that something in that interview clicked for them and they were able to do something with it, then it's all worthwhile. And if you're out there trying to help other people, how can it not be worthwhile? Well, Mary, you are out there helping other people, and it is worthwhile. Early in your career, you took your market full of lemons and made lemonade. Your type A personality, mixed with your drive and determination, have resulted in a powerhouse team that ranks with the best in the nation. Your mind-blowing production numbers prove what can be accomplished with dedication, focus, and hard work. You are a true inspiration to all aspiring agents. Thank you again for being our top agent of the month. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club 
where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.